Section number 15 of Narratives of Colored Americans. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Scott Leonard Fortune. Narratives of Colored Americans by Abigail Mott and M. S. Wood. Daddy Davy. One winter evening, when a little orphan in my seventh year, I climbed upon my grandfather's knee and begged that he would tell me a story. The candles were not yet lighted in the parlor, but the glowing fire sent forth its red blaze and its cheering heat seemed more grateful from a fall of snow which was rapidly collecting in piles of fleecy whiteness on the lawn. I had taken my favorite seat on the evening I have mentioned, just as a poor negro, with scarcely any covering, appeared at the window and supplicated charity. His dark skin was deeply contrasted with the unblemished purity of the falling snow whilst his trembling limbs seemed hardly able to support his shivering frame. And there he stood, perishing, in the land of boasted hospitality and freedom. With all the active benevolence which my grandfather possessed, he still retained the usual characteristics of the hardy seaman. He discouraged everything which bore the smallest resemblance to indolence. The idle vagrant dared not approach his residence, but he prized the man of industrious habits, however lowly his station, and his influence was ever extended to aid the destitute and to right the injured. On his first going to sea, he had been a cabin boy on board a Liverpool ship. He afterwards lived several years in the island of Trinidad, in the West Indies, where the slaves were rigorously treated. He there became well acquainted with the colored people, and now he no sooner saw the dark face of the poor perishing creature at his window than he hastily rang the bell, and a footman entered. Robert, said he, go and bring that poor fellow in here. Poor fellow, did you say? inquired Robert. Yes, yes, replied my grandfather. Yonder man, fetch him here to me. The servant quitted the room, and it was not without some feelings of fear, as well as hopes of amusement, that a few minutes afterwards I saw the poor African stand bowing before the parlour door. The twilight had faded away, and except the reflection from the snow, night had thrown its sable shadows on the scene. But as the bright gleam of the fire shed its red hue upon the features of the negro, and flashed upon his rolling eyes, he presented rather a terrific appearance to my young mind. Come in, exclaimed my grandfather, in a shrill voice. But the poor fellow stood hesitatingly on the border of the carpet, till the command was repeated with more sternness than before. 
and then the trembling African advanced a few steps towards the easy chair in which the veteran was sitting. Never shall I forget the abject figure which the poor creature displayed. He was a tall, large-boned man, but was evidently bent down under the pressure of sickness and of want rather than of age. A pair of old canvas trousers hung loosely on his legs, but his feet were quite naked. On the upper part of his body was a striped flannel shirt, one of the sleeves of which was torn away. He had no covering for his head, and the snow which had fallen on it, having melted in the warmth of the room, large transparent drops of clear water hung glistening on his thick woolly hair. His look was inclined downwards, as if fearful of meeting the stern gaze of my grandfather, who scanned him with the most minute attention, not unmingled with agitation. Every joint of the poor fellow's limbs shook as if struck with ague, and the cold seemed to have contracted his sinews, for he crouched his body together, as if to shrink from the keen blast. Tears were trickling down his cheek, and his spirit seemed bowed to the earth by distress. Tell me, said my grandfather, what brought you to England, and what you mean by strolling about the country here as a beggar? I may order you to be put in the stocks. Oh, massa, replied the negro. Buckra never have stocks in this country. Yet he'd die if Massa never gave him something to fill hungry stomach. While he was speaking, my grandfather was restless and impatient. He removed me from his knee and looked with more earnestness at the poor man, who never raised his head. We have beggars enough of our own nation, said my grandfather. Massa speak true replied the African meekly. Distress live everywhere, come like racehorse, but go away softly, softly. Again, my grandfather looked sharply at the features of the man and showed signs of agitation in his own. Softly, softly, said he. <laughs> That's just your cant. I know the whole gang of you. But you are not going to deceive me. Now, wouldn't you sacrifice me and all I am worth for a bunch of plantains? Massa have eat the plantains, then, said the man. And yet, Massa think hard of poor nigger who worked to make them grow. God Almighty sent rain. God Almighty sent sun. But God Almighty sent nigger, too. Well, well said my grandfather, softening his voice. God is no respecter of colors, and we must not let you starve, Daddy. So, Robert, tell the cook to get some warm broth and bid her bear a hand about it. God forever bless Massa, exclaimed the poor man, as he listened to the order and keenly directed his eye towards the person who had issued it. But my grandfather had turned his head toward me, so his face was not seen by the grateful man. 
So I suppose you are some runaway slave, said my grandfather harshly. No, massa, rejoined the African. No, massa, never run away. I free man. Good brucker give freedom. But then I lose kind massa and I, I, replied my grandfather. But what about Plantation Joseph in Trinidad? Kind, responded the man, as his eyes were bent upon his questioner, who again hid his face. The buckra knows everything. Him like the angel of light to know the secret of the heart. Come nearer to the fire, Daddy David, said my grandfather, as he bent down to stir the burning coals with the puka. Never shall I forget the look of the African. Joy, wonder, and admiration were pictured in his face as he exclaimed while advancing forward. The buckram know my name, too. How this? My grandfather, having kindled a bright flame that illuminated the whole room, turned his face towards the African. But no sooner had the poor fellow caught sight of his features then throwing himself at his feet, he clasped the old sailor's knees, exclaiming, My own master! What for you give David him freedom? And now do poor nigger die for one? But no, never see the day to go dead, now me find my master. Willie, my boy, said my grandfather, turning to me. Fetch my pocket handkerchief off the sofa. I immediately obeyed, but I used the handkerchief two or three times to wipe the tears from my eyes before I delivered it to him. At this moment, Robert opened the door and said the broth was ready, but stood with amazement to see the half-naked man at his master's feet. Go, Davy, said my grandfather. Go and get some food, and Robert, tell the cook to have a warm bath ready and the housemaid must run a pan of coals over the little bed in the blue room and put some extra blankets on. You can sleep without a nightcap, I dare say, Davy. There, go along, Davy, go along. And the gratified negro left the room with unfeigned ejaculations of Goro Madi, forever bless kind massa. As soon as the door was closed, and I was once more seated on my grandfather's knee, he commenced his usual practice of holding converse with himself. What could have brought him here, said he. I gave him his freedom and a piece of land to cultivate. There was a pretty hut upon it, too, with a double row of cocoa-nut trees in front, and a garden of plantains behind, and a nice plot of guinea grass for a cow, and another for buckwheat. What has become of it all, I wonder? Bless me how time flies. It seems but the other day that I saved the fellow from a couple of bullets, and he repaid the debt by rescuing my Betsy. Ah, poor dear. She was your mother, William, 
and he snatched her from a dreadful and terrific fate. How these things crowd upon my mind! The earthquake shook every building to its foundation. The ground yawned in horrible deformity. And your poor mother. We can see her gravestone from the drawing-room window, you know, for she died since we have been here, and left her old father's heart a dreary blank. Yet not so either, my child. Pressing me to his breast, and laying his hoary head on mine. Not so either, for she bequeathed you to my guardian care, and you are now the solace of my grey hairs. I afterwards learned that Davy had rescued my dear mother from destruction at the risk of his own life. During an earthquake in Trinidad, for which my grandfather had given him his freedom, together with the hut and the land. But he had no protector in the West. The slaves plundered his property. Sickness came, and no medical attendant would minister to his wants without the accustomed fee. He contracted debts, and his ground was sold to the estate on which it was situated to pay the lawyers. He quitted the island of Trinidad to go to Berbice, but being wrecked near Mahika Creek on the east coast of Demerara, he lost his free papers, was seized by the government, and sold as a slave to pay the expense of advertising and his keep. He fortunately fell into the hands of a kind master who, at his death, once more set him at liberty and he had come to England in the hope of bettering his condition. But here misfortune still pursued him. The gentleman whom he accompanied died on the passage. He could obtain no employment on his landing. He had been plundered of what little money he possessed, and had since wandered about the country till the evening that he implored charity and found a home. My worthy grandfather is now numbered with the dead, and I love to sit upon his gravestone at the evening hour. It seems as if I were once more placed upon his knee and listening to his tales of bygone years. But Daddy Davy is still in existence and living with me. Indeed, whilst I have been writing, I have had the occasion to put several questions to him on the subject, and he has been fidgeting about the room to try and ascertain what I was relating respecting him. I am only giving a sketch of my grandfather, Davy, said I. Kedge, Masson? What you call Kedge? About the schooner and Trinidad. And the earthquake, Davy. And the old massa which sleep in the work-in rust. Yes, and the snowstorm. Ah, the buckler, a good man. 
they be see him at a time up there, pointing toward the sky. God Almighty, forever bless kind Massa. End of section number 15.